Let us begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, um, getting back started with Lutheranism 101, and if you remember, we are in the part of the book that is discussing uh, the Word and sacraments, and as we've been going through this book, I've kind of been drawing this uh, picture of the car that is Lutheranism 101, and uh, we started with just identifying all the basic parts of the car so we had the uh the engine the body the tires right this the stuff everyone kind of knows about so we talked about sin who is god what is the trinity um who is jesus what is uh what did jesus do for us things like that the creed that kind of things in the creed and then we moved on to some of the details right so exactly how does this car work um, what is what is it? What does conversion look like, right? So, uh, think little little deeper details into things like that. Uh, what what is what is faith? Things like that. Um, things that are a little more complicated than just kind of the big basic parts. And then now we're diving deep into what I'm calling uh, the engine of Lutheranism 101, the thing that makes it run, the the really the big focus of Lutheranism, and that is uh, God's word and God's sacraments. Um, the way that he, or as we'll, we've also said, uh, the means of grace, the means of grace, which are exactly what they sound like. They are the way that God delivers his grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, uh, one for us, given to us at the cross. Um, how does he deliver that to us, right? So the analogy we've used for that many times is there's a difference between Money in the bank and money in your bank account, right? So Jesus won salvation for the whole world at the cross and his resurrection. How does he deliver that salvation? How does he deliver that grace to you? And he does that through his word and sacraments. So uh, we've the last thing we covered was uh, the first of three sacraments. Um, and I am just going to go ahead and refer to confession and absolution as a sacrament, uh, which we'll talk about, we can talk about in a moment. Uh, the first of three sacraments was baptism, and uh, we, we talked about the word before that, and then we talked about uh, baptism, and now we're on to confession and absolution. Next will be the Lord's Supper. So confession and absolution I refer to as a sacrament. Uh, in our Lutheran confessions, in, the, in what we call the Book of Concord, the, the book that has all the documents about uh, what we subscribe to, what we believe, which we've talked about, we talked about way back at the beginning— um, of Lutheranism 101. It talks about the number of sacraments in there, and it says, well, you can have however many sacraments you want depending on how you define them <laughs> because the word sacrament's not in the Bible. So uh, that's fine. The traditional Lutheran answer is either two or three depending on your definition. So probably not seven like the Roman Catholic Church has. That's probably a little much. Um, confirmation is not anywhere even to be found in the Bible. So that can't, probably shouldn't be a sacrament. Uh, wedding is probably a bit of a stretch. Last rites is a bit of a stretch, right? So, but um, 
obviously baptism. So, so what is the Lutheran definition of sacrament? Well, or uh, that that we kind of use for this category of things in the Bible that Jesus gives us. The Lutheran definition is a uh, institution of Jesus, so something that's instituted by Christ in the Bible that has a promise of grace. So remember, means of grace has a promise of grace or forgiveness of sins and has a physical element attached to it, right? So uh, baptism is the forgiveness of sins through water um, by the word, and the Lord's Supper is the forgiveness of sins through bread and wine uh, made into Jesus' body and blood by the word. So those two things are obviously sacraments. Confession, absolution, the, que- the big question is, okay, it's instituted by Jesus in the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at John 20 later as the main place. And it does have this promise of forgiveness of sins. That's what the absolution is. What exactly is the physical element? Well, the pastor is the physical element. Uh, Jesus specifically gives pastors to do this job of confession absolution. Um, in the in the what we call the office of the keys, and uh, you can even say the pastor's voice, right, is this uh, somewhat tangible physical element. So now, not everyone agrees with that throughout Lutheran history, right? Some people say, ah, that's not really a physical element, um, but I I like to think that it kind of is. Um, maybe I'm biased as a pastor, but. Uh, I like the fact that Jesus puts men in history, in a time, and in a place to be uh, and to, to speak the word of God, um, to speak this forgiveness of sins to his people. And so I, I do consider that this, in, in a sense, a um, tangible element to the word that makes a sacrament. Okay. So uh, anyway, that's kind of a... An aside, but um, so I'm going to call it the the second sacrament or or whatever. But uh, that's what we're looking at today. Now I'm going to basically go um, follow the outline of the book. I don't know if we're going to get done tonight on this topic. It's possible, although doubtful, considering my track record on timing these things. But this chapter, chapter 19, uh, page 151 in your book, if you have it, if you want to follow along, it's only um, a couple pages, or that's more than a couple pages, about uh, five pages or so. It's not that long, and I think it's pretty well organized. So some of the chapters I haven't really liked the organization. It seems too random. This chapter is pretty good. Uh, this is what you get in a book that's written by a lot of different people is – it's not exactly consistent in the way that's laid out, but in each chapter. But that's fine. So um, the, the the book is good because it it covers basically every topic. So um, yeah, we're just gonna dive right in, and we'll start with these terms, uh, confession and absolution, um, as well as the term repentance is another term we want to look at. And the book starts by uh, kind of describing these different different terms. So we'll start with confession. Uh, The book says, Confession is the act by which one admits or confesses sin. 
and the guilt of sin. Hey, come on in. Um, so the term confession does have this, uh, in the in the context that we're talking about in confession absolution, it's talking about uh, confessing your sins. So whether we're talking about to the pastor or which is the main context we're going to talk about here, or to uh, God in prayer, um, or to another fellow Christian even. Uh, this is the act of um, saying, or if you're in silent prayer, um, speaking in your head to, to God what sins that you have committed. Um, that, that is the act of confessing. Now, the word confession, I just want to point out, can be a little confusing because we use it a bunch of different ways in the church, in Christianity. So it can be used in the sense of confession and absolution, like you you go to confession, you confess your sins, but it can also uh, be used in this term, this sense of um, confessing the faith, right? In other words, um, Standing for, or even using uh, language speaking, what you believe, right? Uh, and you know, confession in both action and speech, if you will. And uh, basically, confessing, right? That it's try not to use the word to define the word, but um, speaking and standing for, and, and oftentimes you'll hear the adjective or the adverb rather. Uh, boldly confessing uh, what you believe, right? So there's that sense of the word confessing too. And then we also have in, in the Lutheran church um, what I mentioned earlier, the Book of Concord or the Lutheran confessions, right? Where we have this these documents that we say these are our confessions. And when we say that noun with the adjective Lutheran in front of it, what we're talking about is is this sense more here that we're saying uh, this is what we believe and we put it down on paper, right? So we have all these different uh, ways that we use the word confession, but I would point out they are actually connected. Um, all three of these are connected uh, with, let's just use this word, truth, right? To confess something is to speak the truth. Right now, we might be speaking the truth in this context about the sin in our lives, or in this context about uh, the truth of God's word. But either way, the idea behind confession, um, no matter how you're using it, is that it is uh, the truth. Right, that you you are um, proclaiming, standing for, writing, speaking whatever the case may be, the truth, okay? Uh, so that's the, that's the word confession. The word absolution uh, is this uh, term that, that we've applied to the forgiveness of sins, especially um, to absolve someone of their sins. So if you think about the term absolve, uh, you might use it to talk about um, like washing something off, right? Washing something away. So uh, the term absolution is to remove the sin from someone, right? So the person confesses their sin, and then uh, the 
the per- the sin is removed or washed away, right? Um, the book says the act by which one is set free from sin. Um, so that's confession and absolution. Uh, absolution, I think, is a little more straightforward. Right? Um, someone is absolved of their sins, forgiven of their sins. It's, there's really no difference between forgiveness and absolution. The only difference would be that absolution is uh, specifically the act done by the pastor in this in this rite. Yeah. So, um, but other Christians can also absolve absolve your sin. We're going to talk about that later. But um, okay. Question. Yep. Okay. Is it required that we go and confess? To, to private confession or to... Okay, we're human. Mm-hmm. All right. That's my, my situation. We're human. So That's all our situation. No, this is not an interspecies Bible study. Okay. You always have that feeling that that could be used against Yeah. I'm a cynical. Okay. So... But, so you're specifically asking about private confession. I'm absolutely. asking about God. Now we know. Okay. Because he won't come back home. But, you know, if you... So confessing to another human. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me come back to that. When, when, I, when I talk... Like you don't trust that other person. No, it's not trust. It's just, you know, we're human. We have evil. We... So you're saying the other person, you're worried that the other person being human is going to be. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Let me, um, let me come back to that. Let me, um, let me come back to that whenever, uh, we talk specifically about the nature of private confession absolution. Okay. Um, and that it'll also apply to if you're just talking to a fellow Christian. Uh, yeah, so there's different kinds of – there's a – we'll get to that. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I promise. If I don't, then you can call me out on it later. But I think we'll get to it. Um, okay, so let's uh, finish laying the groundwork here. So the, the other term, repentance, um, is something that goes along with this, right? So to get to the point of confession and absolution, um, whatever that's going to look like, it first requires uh, a person to become repentant. Um, so sometimes we'll talk about repentance as a concept, or we'll talk about the um, repent ent uh, sinner or unrepentant sinner, right? As the as the person, if a person is repentant or unrepentant, uh, as a way to describe someone. Uh, so repentance. If uh, you skip skip ahead to uh, the bottom of the first paragraph on 152, if you're following along, um, you you hear the author here says, and this is very standard. This is actually right out of the the book of Concord. Um, repentance has two parts: first, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution. So re- repentance, in some ways, equals confession plus absolution. Um, now, what does that look like? Well, repent. Let's uh, dive into the word a little bit. So the word repentance um, comes from this Greek word. 
metanoia in Greek. Um, and this, this is a theological word that's actually become popular enough that I, I, I believe it's even in some English dictionaries. So you might hear someone say this word at some point. It's one of those really popular theological Greek words that um, people will use. But uh, meta in the Greek can be a prefix for a lot of things, but in this case, it's a prefix for change. And uh, noia is related to the term nous, which is uh, your mind. Um, so nous and in uh, in Greek. And nous is a Greek word. It it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it means mine. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is a little bit broader than just uh, how we use the term mind, though. So the Bible doesn't. Um, so so sometimes you'll hear people say like mind, body, and soul, or just mind and body in our materialistic world. People will forget about the soul. Um, the Bible only really distinguishes between body and soul, and uh, the mind is kind of in both, involved in both, right? Um, in fact, probably more so the soul than the body. And so, uh, or you know, sometimes so it's related to like mind slash heart, right? So like, uh, well, both. Moses and, and Jesus combine these things when they say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? They're all kind of, it's all kind of mixed together. Um, in, uh, in our modern society, we try and separate these things out, right? You have your body, you have your brain, you have your, your soul might be separate, you know. Um, but what's that? But... Uh, we kind of try in our modern side. We try and be very materialistic and separate everything out. And certain things belong to brain chemistry. Certain things belong to um, religion or whatever. And that's really just not the case in the Bible, right? Body and soul are all connected. Same with mind and heart. Uh, so anyway, to 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 repent is to have a change of mind or heart, right? It's a, it's to have a change in what you're doing. Um, to turn. Uh, to turn the other direction is sometimes another phrase that's used to describe what repentance is, right? To turn around. Um, not, it's not just to simply um, say you're sorry for what you're doing, but it's to actually change directions, right? To, to start to do things a different way, right? So oftentimes the, the Bible will talk about this idea of ways, especially in the Proverbs, right? The early uh, Christians and Acts are the ones who are said to follow the way, right? Um, very early Christian document, uh, very, very early Christian document. The Didache uh, starts out with this famous line, uh, there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. And so uh, to change your way is, is to repent. And so first of all, that involves being sorry for your sin and and confessing it. So um, sometimes we separate those things out. Another word you might hear here is uh, contrition. So if you ever hear, yeah, a contrite heart, like Psalm 51. This this simply is talking about the sorrow over sin. So not necessarily confessing it yet, but the sorrow over sin. Um, And then that contrition leads to confession. And then 
as part of this changing of ways, it's not just confession. Confess, confessing. It's not just confessing or confession um, to have repentance, but the repentance is also receiving the forgiveness. Um, it's also, so it's, it's both things, right? Repentance equals confession and absolution. It's receiving God's mercy, receiving his forgiveness, receiving his new life, right? So Christian repentance, um, this is something we need to keep in mind. It's not just the first part. It's not just um, being sad about our sin, right? Sometimes that's how we think about repent. But um, it's not, it, to, to put it kind of simplistically, repentance is not just uh, the law side of things. It's also the gospel side of things. It's, it's receiving the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And um, that, that, the biblical backing for that, by the way, is when Jesus says, uh, repent and believe, right? These things go together um, to, to repent and, and believe. So uh, this is kind of the technical way we use repentance. Now, sometimes, of course, with all these terms, we'll use them casually and not be this precise with our meanings, right? Which is fine. Yeah, Marsha. Um, one of the things, you know, growing up, I was taught was that repentance was you have to acknowledge you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't acknowledge it. Yeah, that's part of contrition, sorrow over okay. sin, recognizing confession. Right. Yep. All right. okay. Yeah, that's all part of it, recognizing the sin. Okay. All right. And, uh, well, that, that, that actually leads us right into the next thing. So as we kind of continue reading through the book here, um, that's the, those are all the technical terms. So hopefully that lays a foundation, gives you a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about. Um, the first step of repentance uh, is to hear the law, to recognize your sin, as Marcia said. Um, so... Let me uh, read part of this book here. So the first step, this is in the paragraph where it says repent. No, really? Okay, so the first step to repentance can only happen after the law does its accusing work. So we've talked about law and gospel before, um, that the when, when the Bible is applied to us and we hear the law, uh, one of the functions of that is that function of the mirror, that we can look into it and it accuses us of our sin. We see that we don't line up with God's uh, will for our lives. So the first step to repentance can only happen after the law does its accusing work. People have to hear what God's word says so they can recognize themselves as sinners and experience contrition or remorse over sin. Okay, so when the word works in us, one of the things that it's going to do is something we've talked about a lot, is that as we read the Bible, as we hear the Bible preached, it will uh, work in us and show us sin, right? And uh, one thing I've pointed out a lot throughout this Lutheranism 101 study is that sometimes we see things that we might not have thought of as sinful or maybe uh, something that we need to rethink for years or decades even. Right. Um, sometimes there are things that we develop blind spots to, and we need to hear the word clearly. Uh, we need to study it um, diligently so we can uh, find not just kind of the obvious sins that you, you know we struggle with week in, week out, but uh, some of the sins you know that maybe we haven't thought of for for a long time. Right. 
Okay. Um, now this this next line is interesting. The flesh, the world, and the devil spend all their time whispering, "What you are doing isn't that bad. In fact, it's not that bad at all." Okay. Now this is true. Um, the the devil and uh, the flesh and the world want us to think that we don't sin, right? Um, and and we often want to just gloss over our sins. Now, we're going to get to it in a little bit, but I wrote down in the margins here when I was reading this, sometimes the opposite. Um, so the devil, the word for the devil is, in, in, in the Greek, Satan, uh, means accuser. So sometimes uh, we don't just fall into the pride of wanting to gloss over our sins, but but sometimes, uh, the book does talk about this later, we uh, fall into the despair of recognizing how sinful we are, but thinking that there's nothing we can do about it, right? And the, the devil will say, you're, you're too sinful, Jesus can't forgive you for this, right? Um, so you've probably experienced that to some degree in your life as well, okay? Now we get another big word here, which we've talked about before, but we'll talk about again, is conscience. Our consciences are assaulted and dulled every day by our own sinful desires. Now, this is an interesting thing that our consciences can be assaulted and dulled, as as the book says. Now, uh, what is a conscience? Conscience is uh, my 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 working definition for it that I wrote down in the margins here um, is the innate sense of God's law written on the heart. Okay. So God says he writes his law on our hearts, right? That we would know what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And um, that law written on our hearts, right? That can guide us, that can show us what's good and evil, right? And whenever um, we, develop contrition because God's word is spoken to us, right? That's working on the conscience, right? The conscience is the thing that's telling us, yes, this is sinful. Yes, what you did is wrong, right? The conscience confirms that. Now, the conscience is an active thing. Um, this is what it's in, what's interesting in the fact that it can be described um, as a number of different things, assaulted or dulled, like we talked about, or you could have... Um, a good conscience or a bad conscience, um, or the word that you hear a lot is hardened conscience. So what does all that mean? Well, uh, when you think about the kind of the way that the conscience works when the word is spoken and you think about the um, way that the conscience works in your life, you can your conscience can change and it can develop, right? And the way it changes and develops, if if we're talking about kind of moving towards a better and better conscience or a good conscience or a, a healthy conscience, so that'd be another term we could have there is a healthy conscience, is that you're constantly hearing God's word. His word is being preached to you. You're listening to it for what it is. And when you see sin, you're not trying to gloss over it but you're hearing it with a with a good conscience, and it might be hard. But then you you repent, you go, you uh, confess your sins, you receive absolution, and uh, then your conscience is at 
at ease, right? So um, this is something that Luther, of course, when when we you know read about the story of Luther, and we've talked about that, you know, had Reformation not that long ago. It seems like not that long ago. I guess it was. <laughs> um, I don't know, like four months ago now or something. Yeah, five months ago. Um, Luther struggled with his conscience, right? He was weighed down by a heavy conscience. Um, he recognized his sin. He was in despair, but it, he did not re- he did not um, have an eased conscience because the late medieval Roman Catholic Church was not, in the, at the end of the day, giving him the absolution he needed, right, to ease his conscience. Um, so you can so that's that would be kind of the the you talked about the healthy conscience the um, a uh, heavy conscience would be like what we just talked about with Luther in despair. Or what about a hardened conscience? Well, this is someone who uh, has convinced themselves that uh, whatever sin they have in their life is not sin or some sin that they have in their life is not sin, right? So um, whenever someone commits the same sin over and over and over again and uh, they start to refuse to repent of it, um, they, they start to refuse to be sorrow over it, uh, they don't change their way. Um, whenever God's word addresses this issue, they, they you know, turn a blind eye, right? Then your conscience starts to become hardened, right? Um, in the same way that Pharaoh was hardened for his sin, right? He, he started to believe that, it, um, that there was nothing wrong that he was doing, right? Even when he saw the clear word and heard the, the clear word of God. Um, so consciences, while they are innate and written on the heart by God, through either his word or through sin, the conscience can change, right? It can develop. It can either move in a good direction or it can move in a bad direction, right? Um, and so uh, this is why we need uh, this is really why we need confession and absolution, right? So um, I like the title for the the chapter, um, Confession, Good for the Soul. Uh, confession and absolution, good for the soul. Uh, the title for this chapter, I think it's good because that this really is in some ways like, this is how Lutheranism got its start, right? Um, if it wasn't for Luther's conscience, then... He probably would not have been led to to study the things he did in the Bible and to um, to see the heirs of the Roman Catholic Church that he they discovered. Now I'm sure someone else um, would have done that eventually, and there was already a lot of other writing at the time, kind of talking about these things. So um, it's not like Luther was that uh, was was that amazing in the sense that you know he was the only one who would ever notice such a thing, but um, through the work of history, um, and God is active in history, he used Luther's conscience uh, to bring about a very good change in the church, right? So um, Lutherans are always kind of concerned in this sense um, about making sure that people's consciences are good and healthy, right, and at ease. And um, it's, a good, it's a good thing to be focused on, right, because this is uh, what drives us to receive the forgiveness of sins, um, not just in confession and absolution, but in, in all the means of grace, right? Also in baptism and the Lord's Supper. So uh, we want our consciences to be clean. 
Uh, that's another word for a healthy conscience is a clean conscience, right? Um, and you hear that not just in the church, but uh, you know, if in the in the world too, you know, if someone commits a crime and they confess as their crime, right? Uh, because they want to have a clean conscience, they don't want um, that to weigh on them, right? So, all right, uh, moving on then. Okay, so that's consciences. Okay, so our consciences are assaulted and dulled every day by our own sinful desires. So to bring us to repentance, then we need the law of God to cut us to the heart, bring us to our knees, and show us where we are wrong. Now, here comes a uh, phrase that I want to address a little bit. As you know, as we've gone throughout this book, I've had a few minor disagreements with the book uh, here and there, which is fine. Um, not everyone agrees on everything. But um, here, the, the author of this section throws in this phrase. So I'll read the sentence again. Only the law of God can cut us to our hearts, bring us to our knees, and show us where we are wrong. Parentheses, usually that is almost everywhere. Close parentheses. Now, I kind of disagree with that. Um, first of all, the, the very basic reason I disagree with that is because I, I don't think that every Christian is constantly breaking every law of God, right? Um, is constantly sinning against every single commandment. Um, so if you think about the Ten Commandments, right, uh, there are certainly days, I, 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 I do not deny that um, we sin every day and that I sin every day. There's, there's no doubt about that. We are indeed that sinful. But I think it would be a mistake to say that Christians who are truly enlivened by the Spirit, right, have a new life, are baptized, uh, seek to live a godly life, right, have a new will in God. It's not like we're unbelievers, right? Um, it's not like we, we don't uh, have any faith or that we don't have a new spirit within us. As the Bible says, um, I don't think that we're constantly sinning against every single commandment. Uh, there, I mean, there are certainly days I don't honor my father and mother like I should, but there are also days where I do honor my father and mother, right? Um, the law is not just a mirror, but it's also a guide. And so I, I hesitate when someone says, usually that's almost everywhere that we're wrong, because that almost makes Christians out to be un, like, you know, wicked unbelievers, uh, like someone who's living a debaucherous life. Um, there's there is a difference between a debaucherous pagan and a faithful Christian, right? In the way that they live their lives, um, I think that's that's that that should be distinguished. And sometimes I think when Lutherans get going about how sinful we are and how we are by nature sinful and unclean. Um, Sometimes they take it a little bit overboard and kind of make us out into like we're constantly being un we're constantly like on the verge of unbelief until we receive that absolution and then we're like right back into unbelief again. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think sometimes Lutheran theologians get just a little bit too excited about how sinful we are <laughs> and forget that we're really Christians, right? So um, I think they remember themselves. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, theologians probably are some of the more <laughs> sinful among us, right? So um, that's the first reason I kind of disagree with it. And I, the other thing I would say is that when we talk like that in this, I, I'll get to you in just one second, Steve. When we talk like that in this big, broad, sweeping, like, oh, we're so sinful, 
um, we we were sinful in every part of our lives, right? Then that can actually take away from our ability to rightly confess. So one of the things we'll talk about with confession absolution is the idea of particulars that we want to confess um, particular sins that particularly bother our conscience, and we want to um, repent of things that we can particularly see in our lives that are problems, that are, are sins that, that, that are problems for us. It, sometimes I think um, people will treat confession absolution like this big, um, almost like overly broad sweeping thing where it's like, all right, I did my um, did my due diligence. I I said my confession this week, and now kind of everything's covered, right? Um, that I mean that there's a sense in which that's true, right? There are sins we don't know of, and we should confess of those in a broad sense too. So Luther says this in the Catechism when he's talking about um, confession. He says, "What sins should you confess?" He says, "Before the Lord in prayer, you should confess all the sins that not even the ones you don't know about, right?" Um, we should have a big, broad confession because we are sin- overall sinful. However, before the pastor, we should confess those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. And so, anyway, my, all I'm saying is that um, if we only ever talk about this like big, broad, like oh, we're just sinful everywhere all the time, um, and then never deal with the actual like individual sins that we know about, then that could be a mistake too. But um, I, un- I understand what he's saying; it's not exactly wrong. But I would not word it that way. Anyway, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, he probably was referring to you break one sin, you break them all. Yeah, that I mean, usually it's the first sin. That is that is true, right? Um, That's also true that whenever you break any sin, you're making yourself an idol, right? You're saying I know better than God, and so you are breaking um, that commandment, and therefore, in a sense, breaking them all. Um, And I'll also say that. If you do make a list of the Ten Commandments and start to examine your life by the Ten Commandments, which is something we'll talk about preparing for confession, um, it's pretty likely there. You know, you might have a majority of the commandments that you can think of ways you've sinned against, right? Um, and if you think hard enough and long enough, you can probably check all ten of them. <laughs> um, but I just don't mean. I, I I feel like the way he says it is like we're basically like constantly always breaking all the commandments in like specific ways or something. I don't know. Yeah. So Simul Houston at, at, at Picotter simultaneously saint and sinner. Um, so the here, here again is my distinction. So that's a Latin phrase. Um, pretty famous again, uh, Lutheran phrase, Simul uh, Hustis at Picotter which is uh, simultaneously justified or saint and sinner. And this is to describe uh, the Christian, right? That we are truly justified, and yet we also still struggle with sin on this side of heaven. What, what I think is sometimes mistaken about this phrase is the word and, uh, which would imply, not necessarily, but could imply that we're 100% justified and we're um, kind of equally that much a sinner. And that is not true for the Christian. The Christian is truly justified. That's who they are. They're a saint, right? The Christian will, the true Christian will 
go to be with Jesus when, when they pass away, right? They are, they are truly justified in the sight of God. They struggle with sin on this side of heaven, right? On this side of heaven, we're still plagued by, by our flesh, by the world, and by the devil. We are not truly a sinner in the same way that we're truly justified. If we were equally justified and equally sinful, um, first of all, that would make justification less meaningful. And it would mean that we were up for a flip of a coin on the last day, right? Um, right. So this, uh, this, this et can be confusing um, and in that we, I don't, we, we can use this phrase. I mean, it's good. We're simultaneously uh, justified and we still struggle with sin on this earth. But that doesn't, the, the peccator is not our identity, right? Um, in the same way that the justified is our identity. So, okay. But good phrase, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, That's a so okay so the the difference in uh, the difference in sins okay well there is um, depends on who you're talking about and from whose perspective you're talking about if you're talking about from God's perspective or man's perspective um, and in what context so let me write this down uh, so I know to cover it later. Um, I'll write it down in my book since that's where I'm teaching from. So there is a theology behind this, which is very interesting. Um, and so Roman Catholics messed this up, but as you know, they do. Um, but the distinction of mortal and venial sins is actually a distinction that Lutherans did carry on um, from the Roman Catholic Church to talk about the difference between uh, sins, but not in the same way that the Roman Catholics do. So uh, just really quickly, Lutherans do not believe that like certain sins automatically damn you to hell and certain sins don't. Um, that's how the Roman Catholics take that distinction. But... Um, there is a way that we can talk about um, the seriousness of sin that also all sin is damnable if it's unrepented of. So let, let me say that first. That's probably the the most important thing to say. Yes. But also all sin is damnable if it's not if it's not repented of. But the way that sin. Um, affects your life and affects those around you and um, affects your soul. And I think even um, in the eyes of God, in a sense, there, there can be like differences in degrees of sinfulness. So... Uh, we'll talk about that next week. I mean, I, I'm not going to get to it tonight, but um, I, I wrote it down, so we'll talk about it. Um, but, but let me keep going on confession and absolution because I want to stay on track, if you will. 
Okay, any other questions or comments so far while I find where I am? Okay, so um, when we recognize our sin, when the, the law of God works on our hearts and we recognize our sin, that brings us to uh, contrition and that brings us to confession, right? Mm-hmm. So the Christian uh, will recognize the, and have sorrow over their sin and they will confess. However, remember, that's only the first part. The second part to repentance is to receive absolution. Um, believing God's promise that in Christ we are forgiven and have a new life. Namely, now, th- this is I like this line. He says, the second part of repentance is faith, believing God's promise that in Christ we are forgiven and have a new life. So right, we receive the absolution. But this is um, a very important thing to to, to talk about the gospel, right? Um, receive and that forgiveness of sins, absolution, um, the good news of Jesus Christ, right? The gospel, it brings with it a new life, a new heart, a new spirit. Okay, so God says in Ezekiel, I'll, I'll remove their heart of stone from them and put in them a heart of flesh, right? This new will, right, that we have. It wants to do good, right? And that's kind of what I was talking about with my kind of problem with that phrase and with um, that he, he said in the book and with this idea of simul use sepicator is who are you as a Christian? You have a new life. And so this is what he, what he says in the book, a new life, namely a life of turning away from sin rather into it, rather than into it. In particular, it means that we turn with God's help from specific sins of which the law has convicted us and that turning goes beyond inward resolve and really wanting to do bu- really wanting to do better, but it includes mortifying our flesh physically, mentally, and spiritual, and laboring to leave the sins that plague us. Right. So, um, the new life in Christ is one where we want to not only repent of our sin and and um, and to stop, you know, to 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 put sins behind us and to change our ways but that we want to go in a good direction, right? Uh, we want to live a new life, a good life, a godly life. And um, anyway, that's just a very important distinction to make is, uh, and, and so you can see how this is connected then to sanctification, which we've talked about before, right? Um, that justification and sanctification, while they are distinct from one another, they cannot be torn apart from one another, separated. Um, the forgiveness that comes with the gospel, it it leads us to good works. It leads us to a good life, and um, and and to this true uh, changing of our way, right? If you think about again about that word way, okay. So um, those are the two parts of that. That's kind of all about repentance, okay. So, um, I'm going to jump forward to this paragraph here. It's the second full par- or the first full paragraph, um, but the kind of second paragraph on page 153. Repentance is not some theological abstraction. For Lutherans, repentance occurs in the very concrete practice of confession and absolution. Our pastors do not leave us hanging. The second part of repentance is theirs to administer. 
They show us our sins from the law, and they show us our Savior in the gospel. So we're going to talk about confession and absolution in terms of prayer, confession and absolution in terms of talking to fellow Christians, uh, even confession and absolution in terms of um, listening to a sermon. But the first thing I want to point out about, um, and and we're also going to talk about corporate confession absolution, the one that we do at the beginning of the divine service, which you're very familiar with, right? Um, I confess that I am poor, miserable sinner, so on and so forth, and then upon this, your confession, I by virtue of my office, so on and so forth. The one of the main things we want to talk about with confession absolution is individual or private confession absolution, and um, the. The first thing that I want to just make the case for is that this is a um, biblically-based practice. So we'll, we'll end on this note. Um, I know we're about at time, but um, if you just open up your Bible to John chapter 20. So John chapter 20 is when Jesus has risen from the dead. It's, uh, the beginning of John chapter 20. And... Uh, then he appears to uh, Mary Magdalene, to his disciples, and to Thomas. And then right after he appears to Thomas, um, all of the disciples, all 11 of them at this point, so the pastors of the church, right, um, and the ones who are going to train the pastors of the church, who are going to train the pastors of the church, so on and so forth, um, are all there locked in a room with Jesus, okay? So it's just it's just him and the pastors, Um after he appears to Thomas, and you know that story. Uh, actually, no. Before before he does the the Thomas bit, um, and he's there with the disciples. This is before Thomas. Um, he comes to them and he says, and and the doors are locked. Right, it's just them there. He says, uh, "Peace be with you." This is uh, twenty verse twenty one, John twenty twenty one. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so the Father sent Jesus down to earth, so I am sending you. These these disciples, these pastors out to the um, out to the world. And with that, he breathed on them. And this is, by the way, the verse that's always been connected with um, ordinations of pastors, right? This is one of the main readings that we read for ordinations. He breathed on them. And, and a lot of people will say this is kind of the ordination of the disciples, right, as New, as New Testament pastors. Obviously, they've been training under Jesus, right? Best seminary education in the world, right? <laughs> been training under Jesus, and now he's kind of ordaining them and sending them out. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So um, this is, uh, I think, a very biblical doctrine is that pastors do receive a special gift of the Spirit, right? Um, obviously, everyone receives the Spirit in baptism, but pastors do, um, connected to the laying on of hands at ordination, this is all in the Bible, um, it's not something we talk about a lot, so it kind of sounds weird, um, maybe, to, to, to certain ears, but um, by the laying on of hands, I think Jesus does bestow a certain gift of the Spirit to pastors um, through, in ordination. So he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, so he gives to the pastors here the ability to forgive and to retain sins. Um, and from this, uh, the church has practiced since, it's, it's, since this time, since its New Testament inception, um, some form of confession, absolution, where lay people go to pastors and receive this uh, gift of absolution, the forgiveness of sins. Um, on the basis of a repentant confession. Um, this was already hinted at in Matthew 16. So you basically have uh, the same story in some ways. This is when Jesus is on the mountain with one, on, on a mountain with his disciples, which happens multiple times, but um, he's on a mountain with his disciples. And um, he asks them, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And um, he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then this is where we get the phrase, the office of the keys. Um, I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, and then he... Uh, warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Christ. Okay, but that, that phrase, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, whatever you loose will be loosed. This is the idea that um, the disciples get the keys to heaven and they will, for the people, either open heaven's gates to them by uh, loosing their sins and by setting them free from sin and opening the doors of forgiveness to them, or they will. This is that. This is an image, right? That's an analogy. Or they will um, lock the gates, right, and bind the person's sins on earth, right? And then we find out what this means fully in John chapter 20. That he's talking about absolution or the forgiveness of sins. Okay. So uh, this is given to the pastors here. Um, this is instituted by Christ. Is why I, you know, like to think of it as a, as the, as a sacrament with the pastor being the physical element that um, this is something that Christ institutes for, for the people. Um, and it's been practiced all throughout church history. Um, and we'll talk, about, we'll talk about some common objections to uh, private confession absolution next week, um, like that it's too Catholic or what if the pastor thinks differently of me or whatever, things like that. Um, we'll, th we'll talk about that uh, next week, but um, I just wanted to go ahead and throw the Bible out there since, you know, Scripture alone, right? So, um, any final questions or comments for tonight? I'll, I'll pick back up next week. Where was the, uh, reference to the keys? That's Matthew 16. Sorry, I'm. Uh, at some point in my life, I, I stopped, I stopped remembering verses, and I just, I always think of um, chapters, and uh, that's bad on my part because then I never know like the right reference. I just know chapters, but um, it is easier if you kind of know the content of a chapter than having to remember certain verses. So um, there's pros and cons to it, but my for whatever reason, my mind just thinks in Bible chapters, not in verses. So um, anyway... But you can re I think you can remember a lot more of like what's in the Bible if you just kind of think in like it's in this chapter somewhere, you know. 
And then you just like scan. Anyway, that's what I do. Um, all right. Any other questions? It's kind of like the questions we had in Sunday school. You know, just read this chapter. Yeah, Luther obviously did the same thing, so I feel like I'm in good company. It's like it's in this chapter somewhere, you know. Um, yeah, that's good. I like that. Uh, I did have a seminary professor tell me one time uh, to stop memorizing Bible verses and start memorizing, memorizing Bible passages because you, I mean, you just get more out of passages, right? Instead of like little verses. So, um, and it's not that hard to, if you can memorize a verse, you can memorize three verses together. You know. Anyway, any other questions or comments? Okay, let's uh, end with a word of prayer then. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank and praise you for uh, giving us, especially the gift of absolution, giving us the gift of your word that we would come to a knowledge of our sin and repent of it, turn from it and turn towards you and and live in the new way. We pray that you would continue to work repentance in our hearts, that we may live lives faithful to you. And we pray that we would continue to receive your absolution, your forgiveness of sins, uh, that we would stand before you justly, and that you might be uh, both just and the justifier. We pray all of this, and we pray that you would also be with us uh, throughout our weeks as we uh, go from here in our days. Keep us safe and keep us uh, under your refuge and protection. We pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.